Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As many of you know, we are coming around the home stretch of about 10 days and nights of picture taking here at St. Andrew for our upcoming church family directory, which as you may also know, includes the opportunity to purchase some of those pictures for yourself or for somebody that you love. And for an extra fee, you can have them retouched which I am told includes things like darkening your hair, whitening your teeth, taking away your wrinkles, and uh, eliminating the shadows, all of which sound pretty good and like uh, winding back the hands of time even more than we did last weekend. And it kind of reminds me of that uh, reality TV show from back in the early 2000s, Extreme Makeover, who remembers that? when. Uh, Ordinary women and men would undergo these extreme makeovers that involve things like plastic surgery and exercise regimens and uh, new hairdos and entirely new wardrobes, after which they would unveil their transformed selves to the stunning reactions of their family members of friends. And, and then there were spin-offs like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, which was about the transformation of your house, and Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition. And uh, even St. Andrew got into the act back in those days when uh, at our old location we offered a series of Bible studies called Extreme Makeover Soul Edition. <laughs> now, is that cute or what? Well, that brings me uh, to this morning's Old Testament lesson about the extreme makeover of a man who had leprosy in 2 Kings, which is easy to find because it's right after 1 Kings. And uh, when we come back to worship at Thanksgiving time, we will hear uh, the story about 10 lepers from the Gospel of Luke, and you got a preview of that also uh, today in, in a rather different message. But the center of the story today is just one man uh, with leprosy whose makeover turns out to be kind of complicated, actually, and it almost doesn't happen, and how that story can also interact with uh, the story of your life, no matter how complicated it might happen to be man I'm talking about, obviously, is uh, Naaman, uh, who was a decorated commander, his mighty warrior in the army of Aram, uh, which was located in what is now modern-day Syria. And so if you see uh, the city of Aleppo uh, on the evening news, that is located in ancient Aram. And uh, Naaman was considered to be a great man, held in high favor by the king whose name was Ben-Hadad II, which is a great name for king. And one of his victories, in fact, took place against uh, his neighbor to the south, none other than, guess who, Israel. And yet, for all the things Naaman had going for him, there was one thing in his life that was going very wrong, as you heard, and that is that he suffered from leprosy, uh, which today is actually very rare and is uh, treated with antibiotics, but back then in the Bible, it was a word that was used for a variety of different skin diseases, some of which could be actually life-threatening, but on top of that, put you in a state of quarantine. It, it isolated you from your community, from your family, from your society, even from, in some places, your faith. And so in Leviticus 13, a leper was required to shout the word, unclean, unclean when somebody else approached them so that they would not get close to them. 
When our kids were in high school, I made them do that when they got the flu. <laughs> Which is why I'm glad this is not a sermon about parenting. But I digress. You know, whether you're, whether you're sick or not, the truth of the matter is, there's nothing better than being connected to your community in good times and also in bad times. And then there's nothing worse than being isolated from your community, from the most important relationships in your life, and above all, from God. And it really doesn't matter what else you have going for you in your life. Well, the good news, as we heard, is that uh, Naaman does receive his extreme makeover, uh, which is complicated because it does come through uh, some unlikely people and some uh, unsuspecting circumstances, beginning with uh, this uh, servant girl who works for Naaman's wife because she has been captured, uh, held as plunder in an Aramean raid against Israel. And yet, there is enough grace in the heart of this servant girl that she tells Naaman's wife, who tells Naaman that there is a prophet back in enemy territory, back in Israel, who has the power to cure this man of his leprosy. Well, because Naaman is a smart man, he listens to his wife. <laughs> and he acts on the tip, and, and because he is a powerful man, he goes through the proper channels of power and he gets a letter of introduction from Ben-Hadad II to the king of Israel asking for permission to come in and make an appointment with this prophet whose name is Elisha. But it almost doesn't happen because when a king of Israel gets this letter, he thinks it's a setup to start another war and he kind of freaks out until Elisha sends word to him to calm down and send Naaman to him, which he does. And because Naaman is a man of great wealth and great influence, he also knows that money talks. And so he shows up at Elisha's house with gold and silver and expensive clothing that one commentary I read would total up to about $2.8 million in today's market, which just kind of shows you how anxious he is to be made over, how desperate he is to be reconnected with his community and the people in his life. But when he gets to Elisha's house, you know, it it's, gets even more complicated because it turns out that Elisha himself doesn't even go out to meet this great and mighty leader, and instead he sends a messenger out to the road to tell Naaman to go take a bath. In fact, take seven baths in the waters of the Jordan River. I will tell you that if I had leprosy, the Jordan River is the last place on earth I would want to bathe. If you've ever been there, my first reaction to the Jordan River was to say, that's the Jordan River? Not only because it's, it's really kind of a tiny stream, at least in comparison to a great, big, majestic river, but the Jordan River was and still is today kind of a muddy, murky kind of a stream, except for the places where people go to be baptized because they have water filters running 24-7 a little bit upstream. True. And so if your neighbor or your friend comes back from a trip to the Holy Land, they give you a bottle of water from the Jordan River, it's been through the filter, and it will have a label on it that says, do not drink. No kidding. 
And so between the fact that Naaman realizes that he's got way better, cleaner, clearer rivers all the way back in Aram, and the fact that Elisha the prophet doesn't even come out to greet him personally and preside over this extreme makeover, Naaman ends up in this crazy fit of rage. I mean, he's just consumed with his pride and his self-importance. And he says, you know, in effect, that uh, not only did I, I not get the VIP spa treatment that I came all this distance for, there's no way I'm going into that dinky, filthy little river and paying some guy $2.8 million to do it. And so Naaman gets back in his chariot, and he starts heading for home, and he's still got his leprosy. But then his servants, also nameless, go to him, and they reason with him, and they appeal to him, and they say to him, can't you just do what the prophet says? Is it really that hard? Just give it a try. And so Naaman goes, and he bathes, washes seven times in the Jordan River. He comes out, he's humiliated. He's soaking wet. But cleansed of his leprosy. Retouched by the hand of God. Made over by the one in whom he now believes, who has changed his life forever. It's a great story. And it's about an extreme makeover, but not just on the outside, also on the inside. It is the soul addition. And the reason that I say that is that at the end of the passage and then extending beyond the passage that you heard today, we find that Naaman doesn't go back to Aram. Instead, he goes back to Elisha's house and he gives all the gold and all the silver and all the clothes. He presents it all, his wealth, to Elisha. In other words, to Elisha's God because gratitude needs some place to go. And this time it's different. This time he's not paying a fee for a makeover. This time he's given a gift to honor the one who has made him clean without cost. And then he makes a, kind of an interesting, and maybe to you and me, kind of a strange request. He asks Elisha for a cartload of dirt, earth, from Israel, that he will take, that his mules will pull all the way back to Aram, so that wherever he is, Naaman, can worship the God who saved his life on holy ground. This is the story of unlikely grace given to a guy by the God that he hardly even knows through an unlikely succession of characters, you know, from servant to spouse to king to king to messenger to prophet back to servants. Most of them are nameless and will never be known to us. Only a few are named, but all of them are, are links in this chain of grace. I want to invite you today to think about that story a little bit and to think about the messages that God might be sending to you today in the story of your life, which may actually be also a little complicated. And that you might consider how in the midst of looking for some kind of great big sign from God from above, you know, you might also look right around you 
that the ordinary unsuspecting people and circumstances through God, which God can make a transformative event happen in your life as he makes his way to you through things like a piece of unleavened bread and a sip of wine, words on a page, song in a bulletin, church in Silver Spring, ordinary people who welcome you out of your isolation into the community that bears the name of Jesus. Maybe this story reminds you that as hard as you work, as successful as you are, as much as you think you have going for you, that pride really does come before a fall, and that is in the Bible, that everything in the world minus Jesus is still nothing, that money really doesn't talk, at least not to God, unless it's given to honor him and thank him for what he's already done for us in Christ. It may interest you to know that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, says that when Elisha sends Naaman to the river Jordan to bathe or to wash, the word for wash is a word that might actually be familiar to you. Uh, it's the word baptize. Which brings me to the most important thing I hope you can see, and that is the connection between the story of Naaman and the story of Jesus Christ, who came into this world, left his greatness, humbled himself, went into the dirty water of the Jordan River, and he washed so that his journey from that water to that cross would pay the fee so that you and I would be retouched with the hand of God and made new forever and ever. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus does is he draws a line from 2 Kings to 2 Corinthians where Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come, which is to say it's all about grace. Grace is what makes you and me over. Grace is what transforms our lives not just on the outside, because I think you already know that just like Naaman, we're all going to get sick, we're all going to die of something sometime sooner or later, even though there might be some wonderful healings along the way, but also on the inside where he makes over our souls so that we might be the children of God here in time and for all eternity and live together with him and with all those saints in light. I hope you also notice that, you know, Elisha didn't make Naaman convert to Judaism before he healed him. And then in just that way, you know, our role as Christians, our role as the people of St. Andrew is just to get out there and start with the grace in whatever way you can possibly express it. So that just like Naaman responded to the healing, to the extreme makeover by worshiping the God who changed his life on holy ground, somebody in our circle of relationships might come here and, and worship God on this holy ground and praise the name of Jesus Christ because ordinary, unsuspecting, nameless people reached out to them and bless them until we all cross the Jordan River into the beautiful promised land of God. And so, you know, here at St. Andrew, we're celebrating grace today because it's all about grace, grace in the baptism of a baby boy.
grace in the humble service of our friend Luis. Grace in those who have served our nation with honor. Grace in the lives of people suffering from addiction and entering into recovery for a stunning transformation. Grace in the lives of people in this very congregation who I knew before they were Christians and now see how different they are because they are. Grace for people who hear your sins are forgiven. Grace for people who are welcomed out of your isolation back into the community where love flows and forgiveness is given, faithfulness wins the day. And grace for you, grace for you. Whoever you are, however broken you are, however complicated your story might happen to be. When we were looking at our uh, newly taken uh, photos for the church directory a couple of Friday nights ago here at St. Andrew, I told our photographer about a friend, actually a colleague of mine, who when he sees me likes to say to me, you know, Mark, you never change. You looked bad 10 years ago. You still look bad. And these are my friends. But while I don't doubt that, what I do rejoice in, what I do give thanks for, is the extreme makeover that happens on the inside, it happens in the water, it happens in the promise of God that makes us the children of God here in time and for all eternity. And it gives me the authority to say to you, welcome to the community of Jesus Christ. You're looking good. You've cleaned up well. And you are pictured in the beautiful family of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Continue our worship by joining and singing the hymn of the day. <laughs>